0: Next week, on the 12th, uh, our Epic students will go on their uh, summer camp, and they're all raising money for that. Out in the foyer, there is a silent auction. There's something delightful there you'll want to purchase. Renan, I was going to see the Astros this year. They're doing really good, you know. And uh, we'd like for you to go with us, so if you'll make a contribution to the students. Uh, you and I go along and I promise you you'll have fun and I'll make sure Renee doesn't embarrass you at at a ball game she doesn't get everything but she sure knows how to have fun so um, also uh, Tracy McGrady has uh, promised to sign a, a, a Rockets Journey Jersey and get a picture if you will make a donation for that so it's a silent auction out in the for you thank you Tracy God bless you so much and there's other things out there of interest um, but it'll help our students go. Um, you know, sometime when you've got two or three students and they're going to two or three camps in the summer, uh, these students have to get out and raise money, and I want to thank all of you to, uh, for helping with that. If you don't have students, maybe you could kind of step up. Can you say amen? Um, you know, on Wednesday nights, we have one more traditional Wednesday night pastor's Bible class, um, and then we go to live teams, and uh, I'll be having a life team with men. Renee will have a life team with ladies. As, others want, as, as well as other wonderful life teams here on Wednesday night and throughout the week. But this Wednesday is our last traditional one for this session. And um, Pastor Kirk Ellender will be with us. And he's going to talk to you about a biblical view of investing for your future. He's not only um, uh, the oldest or, or the longest pastor uh, with me at Triumph, but also is an Edward Jones investor, and he's going to talk to you from a biblical point of view how to invest for your future. It'll be a great blessing to you this Wednesday night. Next Sunday, I've invited Damon West to be with us. He's a businessman uh, that had uh, a great church family raising, but got caught up in the drug culture and the drug world, threw his life away ended up in prison, but God miraculously turned his life around while he was in prison, and he has a testimony um, that gives God glory and inspires faith. And so if you have anyone in your circle of family and friends that are struggling with addictions or lifestyles and relationships that are pulling them in that direction, boy, next Sunday is a Sunday to have them here. Uh, He'll be a blessing. Uh, There's going to be an altar call for salvation and deliverance at the end. And uh, this is going to be a special Sunday. I'm confident you're going to enjoy it and your faith is going to be lifted. So don't forget those things coming up real soon. How many of you know what today is besides Sunday? Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday has great significance to the church and most especially to uh, those of us that are Pentecostal uh, believers. And so today I'm going to talk to you a little bit about uh, Pentecost Sunday and its significance and talk to you about uh, the Holy Spirit. Um, first of all, I'm going to ask you to stand, if you will. And secondly, I need a little bit of monitor here, guys. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not feeling anything I'm saying from the monitors. <clears throat> Mic check one, two. This is also the um, kind of the first Sunday of the summer. I've experienced uh, a lot of summers as a pastor, and some summers have been spiritual vacations. People just kind of checked out until school started back and uh, probably some of the driest services and the worst sermons I've preached have been in the middle of the summer when everybody was just kind of mentally checked out. But then I've had summers that were spiritual uh, infusions. Um, Summers when God came near. And we had some of the best services, the greatest, most significant things happened during the summer. So as I stand at the door of this next this summer, I'm trying to make a choice in faith as to what kind of summer I want this to be. And you already know what that choice is, right? And um, I want you to make a choice that as you shift your schedule and, you know, life gets changed up because kids aren't in school and you kind of have to adjust your schedule, that in that adjustment, it'll bring you closer to God, not further away. Don't go on vacation with God or church or prayer or any of those spiritual things. Don't go on vacation, but stay plugged in. Use the shift in your schedule in a positive way, like maybe shift your prayer times, shift your devotional times because your schedule's changing, kids are changing. You have to kind of go with it. Shift that time and use it as a positive to uh, maybe catch another gear in the Spirit. And I hope that you'll do that. And I I pray that we can do that here in our Sunday morning services. You know, um, if we can get what we need on Sunday morning, we have something to work with the rest of the week. Um, It doesn't mean you can't get it any other day of the week or any other place or way. That's certainly not the truth. I'm just saying that if we get what we need on Sunday morning, we'll have what we need the rest of the week. And so um, it's important that each and every Sunday morning uh, that we have an encounter with God. I suppose at this point we all know how to have church. You know how to play your role. I know how to play my role. And uh, we can pretty well get through a service without God. But nothing really happens um, in a person's heart and life without the touch of the Holy Spirit. Jesus made it really clear. He said, without me, you can do nothing. And at this point in my life, I know that now more than ever before, that without the touch of the Holy Spirit, without His anointing and grace on my life, I can do nothing. And we need God in the midst. We need God with us. And we need God here in a very special way. So I'm going to spend about... 30 minutes or so and talk to you about the Holy Spirit and I've entitled the teaching today divine interruptions divine interruptions and what I'm asking God for is a divine interruption into our lives a divine interruption I don't know if you've ever had a divine interruption But I can tell you now that it's one of the most wonderful things that will ever happen in your life is when God chooses to interrupt what we're doing and what we're planning and institute His plan and His purposes. How many of you want a divine interruption? Uh, With the person you came with today, join hands. Father, we thank you for the nearness that we feel even at this moment. We're humbled by your presence. We're in awe of your love and power. We're asking you, Father, to give us a supernatural summer. Come near. We promise not to take a spiritual vacation. We promise to stay connected, alert, and in tune. And we ask you to interrupt anything going on in our lives this summer that you may have a better plan. You may have something else you want done that's better for everybody. We open our hearts today for interruptions. Interruptions to our plans and purposes, our activities, our routines, and our schedules. We open our hearts today for whatever interruption that you want to make in our lives. In Jesus' name, everyone say amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> and so today I want to talk to you about divine interruptions, those moments when God overrides our plans and interrupts our activities to accomplish what he deems infinitely more important. You know, the Holy Spirit is known for interrupting good nights of sleep, important conversations, peaceful afternoons, and busy, busy days at work. Sometimes it seems the Holy Spirit is virtually unconcerned about what we're doing or our schedule or our agenda. Or how many things we've got to get done in the course of a day. When we least expect it, and we definitely don't have time for it, the Holy Spirit steps in and interrupts the whole thing. But oh, how sweet it is when we get one of those divine interruptions. I'm just convinced that God can do more in 10 seconds than I can do in 10 lifetimes. I just believe that what God wants done is far more important and far more beneficial to everyone than what I might see needs to be done. There's nothing more exciting and life-changing than for the Spirit just to step into our lives at an unexpected moment and begin to speak and talk and do work for us and, and involve us in something that is not what was expected. There's nothing more wonderful than that. And if I can inspire you to, first of all, desire that, and second of all, be sensitive to that, then I'll feel like uh, maybe I got my job done today. I believe that Triumph Church is due, a due, a divine interruption. So we're going to pray and believe God for a supernatural summer and ask God to demonstrate His power in our lives. Now, as I mentioned, this is uh, Pentecost Sunday. Now, to give you a little bit of a background, uh, it's Pentecost Sunday because for centuries in Israel, uh, there were scheduled religious holidays that the Hebrew people practiced at God's instruction. One of those was the Feast of Pentecost, or it was a holiday. And uh, there were those, those holidays have great significance and great importance to the children of Israel. Uh, It was on uh, on that holiday, the Feast of Pentecost, that God strategically chose to pour out His Spirit for the first time. It was on that holiday that God chose to pour out the Spirit on all flesh until He returns. And so when we talk about Pentecost... Uh, we refer back to the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit was initially poured out in the city of Jerusalem during the first century the word Pentecost simply means 50 and so Pentecost was 50 days after Passover Passover, that religious feast coincided with the death the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ so it had been like 50 days out of, after what we call Easter. And that's where we are now. 50 days after Easter um, is Pentecost Sunday. And so on this day, we remember how that God poured out His Spirit on all flesh. Um, and how that for the first time, people were infilled and baptized with the Holy Spirit. But let me make one slight correction and say that there were people filled with the Spirit prior to this day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. But on this day, God made it available to every believer and every follower of God. Prior to that, it was only for kings and priests and uh, prophets, men and women that were uniquely anointed with God by God. But at this point, God made it available to all flesh, to all creation, all followers of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus had instructed his followers after his resurrection that they were to go to Jerusalem and wait until they received the promise of the Holy Spirit. So they were there somewhere between seven and ten days in a rented hall like you and I would rent Um, a recreation center or a hotel ballroom or something of that nature. They would rent a room there during the Feast of Pentecost and they would um, enjoy the the religious holiday together. But in this case, he said, go and wait. And so they had the room and they prayed and they fasted and they waited for the promised outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And then we get to Acts chapter 2. And it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and one place. I want to go to the screen now. I'm in Acts chapter two, verse one, and I'm going to switch over to the New Living Translation. So on the day of so on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, everybody say suddenly. Suddenly. There was a divine interruption. They were doing one thing, but suddenly the Holy Spirit interjected something uh, that was unique and wonderful and not of their doing. There was a sound from heaven like a roaring, mighty windstorm. So it sounded like a a tornado or a hurricane-force wind that suddenly began to blow in that rented hall, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. This was a supernatural sign. It was a sign of the Holy Spirit in that a, a, it seemed like a f- fire settled over each of the believers that had gathered there, about 120 in number. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other language as the Spirit gave them the ability. And so this is the first occasion that the Holy Spirit was poured out and it was a total interruption but not just for the 120 that had gathered there praying but it was an interruption for the city of Jerusalem and the nation of Israel and ultimately the world. As God stepped in and poured out his Spirit on these 20 and then thereafter, hundreds and thousands of people would receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit and become a part of the great band of followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was an interruption in world history. Nothing more significant has ever happened than the coming of Christ and the establishment of His church. They grew from just a small band of followers in Jesus and in somewhat of an insignificant to the rest of the world city, town, and nation, um, but then it would ultimately grow within the first century to become hundreds and thousands of believers that would cover the, the all the known world at that time. It was truly an interruption of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit took do- over direct operations from Jesus Christ after the ascension. Jesus had said, after I go away, I will come back to you. He said, the Holy Spirit will come. His power will come within you. And he said, in him, I will never leave you. He went on to say, it's better for me, Jesus, to go away so that the Holy Spirit can come after me. And so this interruption in the upper room was indeed the fulfillment of what Jesus had said was going to happen. It's the promise of the Father. It's the induction of the Holy Spirit as the overseer and the direct leader of the church. And so in a way, whereas Jesus for three and a half years was the leader of a small following, now the Holy Spirit that would be worldwide would be the director and leader of the church. The book of Acts is all about what the Holy Spirit was doing in the church and through the church. And so the Holy Spirit just stepped up um, and became the leader of the church and is today. And for some 2,000 years, the Holy Spirit has been leading the church, empowering the church, and interrupting uh, human history nation by nation. There have been unique seasons when God has done marvelous and amazing things. They were intervals of what we call revival. They were redirections of entire people groups and nation. You know, when the Holy Spirit gets ready to move, it doesn't matter what the leader of the country is doing. It doesn't matter what the leading political parties of the country are doing. It doesn't even matter what the religious leaders are doing. It doesn't matter which way the culture is going. When the Holy Spirit steps in and stands up in any environment, suddenly he takes over and begins to redirect everything. You know, I'm a student of revival, and as I look back across the revivals of the last 2,000 years, especially those of the last three or 400 years, each of them happened in a unique and surprising way among people that might not have expected it. It was indeed a divine interruption into their lives. Unexpected people suddenly had encounters with God, and those encounters began to spread until nations were literally changed, and the course of human history was altered by these significant revivals. I'll mention just a few. If you've studied anything about American history, you read about the first great american awakening that would have taken place uh, uh, around the time of the revolution and the declaration of independence the founding of our country and then there was the second great american awakening that would have happened about the time that texas was being settled in the early 1800s um, it was happening mostly on the eastern steep seaboard up toward the new england con- uh, states And then there was what has been considered a third great awakening that would have happened around and about the time of the Civil War. And then in uh, 1900, we saw the dawn of a century filled with revival and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so when we study how God works, we see that at unexpected times and unexpected places, And with unexpected people, he just begins to move. He comes close. He begins to demonstrate his love, his grace, his goodness, and his power. Because those lives are transformed, other lives are transformed, and it grows from a handful or a very few into quite a lot over a period of time. This seems to be the way that, that God works. Remember that the Holy Spirit is not like a junior God. He is God. God is triune. The word triune means three and one. God is Father, He is Son, He is Holy Spirit, and He is indeed one. And it's um, sometimes difficult for us to wrap our human brain around the magnificence of God. He is so big and wonderful, so incomprehensible, it's very difficult for man to try to understand and and take in all that God is and then try to convey with words how big and wonderful He is. And when we try to describe the Godhead, it is certainly that way. He is much more big and wonderful because, you see, as human beings, we describe things according to what we relate to, and we have points of reference. Like when we describe heaven, we, we describe heaven using earthly points of reference. We talk about streets of gold, and we talk about rivers because that's what we can relate to. And we talk about mansions and houses because that's what we see on earth. But when we try to describe God, I mean, there's really nothing to connect him with and nothing to relate him to. And so we're trying to describe something that is more bigger and wonderful than we've ever seen. But we know he's real and we do our very best. That's how we end up with certain doctrines. The only thing on earth that we have to to help us just get a glimpse of of the, 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 the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that we worship is this. In the book of Genesis, it says that God created the heavens and the earth, and He created man in His own image. He created man as a reflection of Himself. And so man also is a triune being. We are spirit, we are soul, and we are body. Now, we're not two, we're not one, but we're three, and together that makes one human being. If unimaginably, If you were a human being but you had no body, you wouldn't be complete. You wouldn't be one. If you had no spirit, only body and soul, you wouldn't be a human being because it takes all three to make one human being. And so it is with God. It takes Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to make this one God that we serve. So the Holy Spirit is not an it, not a junior God, not God's servant or ambassador, but he is all God himself. The Holy Spirit is all powerful. The Holy Spirit is all knowing. The Holy Spirit has all the authority of the Godhead. And when the Holy Spirit shows up, he is God. And sometimes he's a gentle breeze. And it's a little feeling that goes up and down my spine that feels a little bit about like goosebumps. Sometimes he's a rushing mighty wind, and he's a powerful voice that shakes me to the core of my being. But he's always God. In whatever way, in whatever capacity the Holy Spirit shows up, remember, he is God. Whether he speaks in soft and gentle terms that you have to listen closely to and wonder if you really heard anything or not, or whether he roars with authority and force, he is God. I want to show you another interruption. We go to the book of Acts chapter 10 this time. Carnelius was a Gentile, meaning not a child of Abraham. And he was a powerful man in the military. He lived in Caesarea. But he had a hunger for God, and he was a good man. And God virtually sent angels to him and told him to send men, his servants, to Joppa, where there was a man named Peter that would come back with them and tell them the ways of God. So Cornelius literally saw an angel, literally had an encounter with God, had an encounter with an angel. And so he sent men at their instruction to Joppa. They retrieve the apostle Peter. And when Peter gets there, Cornelius falls down and starts to worship him. And Peter says, no, don't do that. Stand up. I'm a man just like you are. Um, And Cornelius had all of his friends and family and his servants gathered there. And Peter stands up in that home group and begins to share the truth about Jesus of Nazareth. How that he was indeed born of a virgin. How that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. How that he was given the words of God. The words of power. The words of life. He talked about how that Jesus went about doing good and healing everyone that was oppressed of the enemy. And while he was still speaking those words, and while he was right in the middle of his teaching, verse 44 said, while Peter, let's go to verse 44 on the screen. While Peter, even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. So it was a divine interruption. Peter's trying to explain to them about Jesus and what they should do in regards to him. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just kind of interrupted and just took over the meeting. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit fell on them. Wow. The Holy Spirit fell on them. When the Holy Spirit falls on someone, it's an overwhelming experience. Um, This is kind of a word picture, the word fell. Uh, This same word is used if you were to um, meet someone you haven't known for a long time and and maybe they were surprised by your coming and they just ran and just wrapped their arms around you and just fell on you and just nearly knocked you down. Because they were so glad to see you. That's the same word, fell. So when the Holy Spirit comes near, he falls on people. He just wraps himself around them. And the weight of his presence is very strong. He engulfs them with himself. And so that's what happened. They're all sitting there listening. They didn't know Peter. They didn't know about Jesus. They didn't understand everything he was saying. But the Holy Spirit just fell on each and every one of them. Let's continue in verse 44. Let's see what happened. The Jewish believers who came with Peter, he had five or six people with him as witnesses. They were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. See, the Jews were very prejudiced racially, very prejudiced. And they thought uh, that no one else could have what God had given to them. And so they were amazed that God had crossed the racial boundary and was now pouring the Spirit out on people that were not sons of Abraham. So the Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. Verse 46. 46. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, verse 47, Can anyone object to their, being, to their being baptized? He's talking about water baptism now. That they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. Verse 48. So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Afterward, Cornelius asked him to stay with them. For several days, So the Holy Spirit, right in the middle of His message, just falls on them. They receive the Holy Spirit, and as a sign, they begin to speak in a language that they had never learned. Speaking in tongues or speaking in these languages is a sign. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's not salvation. It's a sign or an indication that you have been filled with or baptized of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit has fallen upon you. Actually, When the Spirit fell on these Gentiles, it was significant in in many ways, more so than I want to mention this morning. Uh, But this completes the conversion of the three sons of Noah. Remember Noah, when he stepped out of the ark and the earth and mankind had been destroyed, he had three sons. It was Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And each of these three sons became major people groups on the planet. And so when we read chapters 8, 9, and 10 of the book of Acts, we see a representative of each one of those sons in, of, Ab- of Noah that had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, symbolizing from the Lord that all the major three people groups on the earth were recipients of the Holy Spirit baptism. For instance, um, in, the, in Acts chapter 8, we see an Ethiopian who was a dark-skinned human uh, that was of the tribe of Ham, That received the Holy Spirit. Then we go to Acts chapter 9 and we see Saul who was from the the tribe of of Benjamin making him a son of Shem or the Semitic people, the Middle Eastern people. And then this last one was Cornelius. He would have been um, of the son of Japheth, the third son of Noah, uh, which would have been uh, the lighter skinned uh, race of people. So we see how God is just completes everything. God just has it all planned out in every detail. He said, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. And he makes sure that the early conversions included each of the three sons of Noah, which repopulated the earth, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. So God's word was true, and he fulfilled his promises saying, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Now these sons of Japheth, these light-skinned people called Gentiles, um, would receive the Holy Spirit. First, they had to believe on Jesus Christ. But immediately after, they were all baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the next thing that happened, Peter said, now let's get them water baptized. So there are three elements of your conversion. First of all, there is your salvation when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ repent of your sins, and ask the Lord to come into your life and be your Lord and Savior. That is your salvation. We sometimes call it the first baptism when you're baptized into the body of Christ. A second baptism is water baptism. That's when you submit yourself to the leadership of the church, and uh, you're water baptized, and in that way, Uh, You take on the Lord Jesus Christ. When you're water baptized, it's a symbol of your death to sin and your resurrection to your new life in Christ. The third baptism, the third element of your conversion, is when you are spirit baptized. What makes us full gospel believers is the fact that we not only believe in a baptism into the body of Christ at your new birth, not only a water baptism, but also a spirit baptism where the Holy Spirit falls on you in a unique and a wonderful way and empowers you with Himself. Most often, it's accompanied by the sign of speaking in tongues as an indication that you've received the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this... this huge interruption of the Holy Spirit became the the door that was opened so that Gentile believers, even to this day, are recipients of the Holy Spirit. Now, when you study the church for the last 2,000 years, uh, history and in the early days of the last two centuries... Uh, the beginning of the last two centuries. We have less historical record than we do in the last three to five hundred years. Nevertheless, as you study history, you find out that periodically there were fresh outpourings. It's available at all times, but there were fresh outpourings. We call them revivals and reformations and outpourings and, and other names to describe how there were unique seasons when it seems like God would do something fresh and new and start again um, a fresh move of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we see that a great deal uh, even in the last couple of centuries. I'll mention some of those for, the, for this morning. Um, Charles Parham... Was conducting a Bible school in Topeka, Kansas in 1900. Um, He went on a short trip and left his handful of students, maybe a dozen or so, to read the book of Acts and to study on receiving the Holy Spirit. While he was away, just as the 20, as the 20th century was being born on December the 31st 1900 and January 1st of 1901 the first day of the 20th century the spirit was poured out on those believers and they began to speak as a sign in language that is that they had never learned and this was the the uh, the renewing of the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, into the world. In the next hundred years, we'll, with the 20th century was a 100 years of Pentecost in the sense that from 1901 at Parham in Topeka, Kansas, people began to receive the Holy Spirit baptism uh, by the virtual thousands. At the end of the 20th century, there were more people that had received the baptism of the Spirit and had uh, manifested the sign of tongues than all other believers combined. The experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit had invaded every Protestant church as well as the Catholic church. It had not only touched America, but it had touched every continent on the planet. So we had 100 years of revival. Interesting uh, note of history, and I'm I'm running out of time here. This is my favorite subject, so it takes a lot of discipline on, on my part. But um, one of the interesting notes here that soon after the Spirit was poured out at Topeka, Kansas, Charles Parham brought his Bible school right here to Houston, Texas. One of his students was a man by the name of William J. Seymour, an important person um, in our history. Also, there was a lady there named Lucy Farrow. She was um, a a cook at the school. Both of these two individuals were African Americans. Uh, Sister Farrow... F-A-R-R-O-W uh, might be the first African American in the 20th century recorded as having received the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, and spoken in tongues. Charles Seymour was a student of the, of the Charles Parham's Bible School but because of the racial division and, and, and bias he was not allowed to come into the classroom but would sit in the hall with a doorway open uh, because he was hungry for the Holy Spirit. So Charles Parham would ultimately send uh, Sister Faro to Los Angeles, California to start a church. She would designate... Uh, William J. Seymour to be the the leader of a small holiness church that she had here in Houston and she would be the forerunner in the Los Angeles Church. In 1906 she would bring Charles uh, William J. Seymour to Los Angeles and it was there that the great Azusa Street Revival was birthed in 1906. The flames of that revival would burn so brightly that it would virtually touch the world but it did not burn very long. Ernie, it only burned about two, two and a half years and the Azusa Street Revival was over. The, the group disbanded and they were spread all over the world. But when you study the history of the Pentecostal denominations that we have in the world today, like uh, the Assemblies of God and like the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ and like uh, um, Church of the Lord... Uh, what's Kojak? That's it. What is it? Right, right. And, and others that I could mention all the major Pentecostal denominations all go back, their root starts in Los Angeles at the Zeusa Street Revival and their founders and the people that gave birth to those movements were, went to Los Angeles and were touched by the power of God. That happened there in 1906. So the 20th century got off to a huge start And the power of the Holy Spirit was poured out in a great way. The southern part of the United States was very receptive to the Holy Spirit. And Pentecostal churches began to pop up all over East Texas, Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi, uh, Florida, everywhere. East Texas was a seedbed because, remember, Parham's Bible School was right here in Houston. And and East Texas was a a seedbed for the Pentecostal revival. Um, And churches began to spread. Denominations were born and uh, it was a 100 years of the outpouring of the Spirit. I'm just going to give you a couple snippets. In 1940, Irvin J. Marshall lived in the, in the delta of Mississippi. Um, and there was a little Brush Harbor meeting going on. Brush Harbor doesn't mean anything to us today, but it was basically poor saints that couldn't afford churches, small groups would create an arbor out of brush, Uh, which would be like a temporary covering, and the preacher would stand under the arbor, and the people would gather around. So Irvin J. Marshall and his family, uh, they were touched by the Holy Spirit, and uh, they were walking down a dirt road as a family going to the Brush Arbor meeting that night. And as they went, they were singing and enjoying the Lord. Irvin was only about um 16 17 years old and as they were walking down the road and I, I hope you can hear him tell the story someday how the holy spirit just fell on him and he received the baptism of the holy spirit began to speak in tongues began to express himself in a very exuberant way right there on the dirt road in the delta mississippi as the spirit of god fell on them as they were walking to church that was renee's dad he's 90. One years old today, still filled with the Holy Spirit. That happened in about 1940. Just a few months later, he had joined the Navy and become one of our soldiers in World War II. 1947. Um, Howard Clark came in the summer from Baylor University where he had won a scholarship. My grandfather and grandmother were faithful Christians and dragged him to church Sunday after Sunday. But Ball was my dad's God. He wasn't an evil man, just loved all kind of ball, and was an athlete, won a scholarship, and nothing else in the world meant anything to him but just playing ball. But when he came home for summer to be with my grandmother, my grandmother uh, persuaded him to go to a little Pentecostal church and go to a revival during the week. And he reluctantly went and sat through that just for my grandmother's sake. But he had a divine interruption in his life. And the Spirit of the Lord fell on my dad as just a young boy one year behind him in college the Spirit of the Lord fell on him and gripped his life and changed the whole course of his life and therefore the course of my family's life. The direction he was going was a good direction, but it wasn't God's direction. And God turned him around and um, committed his life to Christ. And spent his life as a churchman, faithful, did everything you can do in a local church besides be the pastor. Renee and I believe that the reason we're in the ministry today is because of the faithfulness of our parents and our grandparents. Somehow God looked on their lives, generations of faithfulness, and chose us to serve Him. And we're honored by that. In 1967, I was just a young boy, 11 years, 10 years old, about to turn um, 11. And I had certainly given my heart to the Lord, and I knew I was saved, but I had never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So on a Wednesday night, I was sitting by my Aunt Elbert, she's with the Lord now, and I was sitting by her on a Wednesday night over on the back left about midways, and the saints of God were singing and worshiping God. And uh, I had a moment with God there on that Wednesday night worship service sitting by my Aunt Elbert, and the Holy Spirit just fell on me. I received a baptism of the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. It had never happened to me before. But I had an encounter with God, an infilling of the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that that's been 50 years ago? <laughs> now, that may not have any significance to you. But when I was doing the math last night, I'm thinking, holy moly, 50 years ago, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and for the first time in my life, I began to speak in a heavenly language, and here I am today. I speak in tongues every day of my life. I'm sometimes in public, but often in private, because it's a sign to me. It's an indication, and to make it, uh, make it, um, to establish it in my brain. After service that night, my neighbor put her arm around me. She said, "Randy." You really got a touch of the Holy Ghost there tonight. I said, "Yes, ma'am, I sure did." And she said, "Oh, I heard you speaking in tongues. It was so beautiful." That was a confirmation to me because I needed somebody that really knew what was going on to, you know, make sure it was the real deal. And here I am, 50 years later, still praying for people to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, still moving in the gifts of the Spirit, and I thank God for it. Renee and I. She was raised in Mississippi. I was raised here in East Texas, and God brought our lives together. She had a very similar family, similar upbringing, and we were both called as children into the ministry. And now we've got over 40 years of ministry collectively uh, together, and uh, we've been praying for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We've seen signs and wonders and miracles our whole time's when we first started, Renee would play the keyboard. Back then it was a B3 organ, and she would play that organ, and she would sing her lungs out. And I'd preach my very best. And looking back on it, I realized it wasn't that good. But, you know, the hand of God was on us. Um, it really was. And um, we, we could get people baptized in the Holy Spirit. We could get people healed. And, and it really came down to that. I look back on it and wonder how I ever got my first revival And uh, look back on it, I would spend six or eight hours every day trying to get something to preach that night and and, uh, trying to think of something to say. But at the end of the day, it wasn't what I thought to say. It was just the the touch of God on our lives and the power of the Holy Spirit that made all of that that happen. Triumph Church was founded over 30 years ago, and uh, we were founded on the power of God, the miraculous, the supernatural. And, the, and divine interventions in our lives. And we still live on that today and believe for that and see that happening on a regular basis. We realize that we can't do anything without the power of the Holy Spirit. But, you know, as I look around today, we're in the 21st century, of course, 17 years into, the, into it. And um, there's a lot of wonderful believers that are saved and living for God with all of their heart. But they really don't have great points of reference. See, I have great points of reference when I can go back to times and places when God did marvelous and wonderful things for me. Um, But sometimes people don't have points of reference for great miracles, signs, and wonders in their lives. In Judges chapter 6, there was a young man by the name of Gideon, and God appeared to him, and um, Gideon's response was unique, and I think it relates to a lot of people today. Gideon said to him, the angel of the Lord, Oh, my God, if the Lord is with us, why then has all these things happened to us? What in the world is going on? Then he said, And where are all his miracles which our fathers tell us about? So what in the world is going on in our day, and where are all the miracles? I'm going to tell you something. God is still in the miracle-working business. And you're going to see the greatest miracles of your life just ahead. If you've never seen an outpouring of the Spirit that radically changed your life and became a gravitational point for you, just stay on board because God has big and wonderful things in store for you. I believe the greatest revival the church has ever seen is the next one, and the next one is not very far away. I believe that all of my life, and I've preached it all of my ministry but I'm not alone in that. The greatest voices in the live today are, are saying prophetically that the next move of God is going to be the greatest move of God the world has ever seen. And it's that move of God that's going to usher in the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we live for that. And everybody say amen. amen. I've got to finish up. The Holy Spirit must have the freedom to interrupt me at any time, at any place, for any reason He chooses. If we're not alert to that, we can pass it up. If if we're not looking for that, expecting that, and sensitive to that, we miss opportunities in the spirit. It's like windows open up and we go right by them and miss tremendous opportunities God has to bless us and for us to be a blessing to others. You know, I'm convinced that people say, God use me, God use me, God use me, and He really is trying, but sometimes we live with such a, 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 an insensitive mindset, because the Holy Spirit is a symbol of many things, fire and a dove, and a dove is a, a gentle, quiet thing. God can thunder and roar from the heavens, but He can whisper so quietly, the noise of your life will drown it out. You have to be sensitive, and you have to be ready and waiting, and you have to be courageous, and you have to be responsive. When the Spirit interrupts, stop what you're doing. When the Spirit interrupts, change your plan and schedule. When the Spirit interrupts, become a player for God. When the Spirit interrupts, obey the leadings of the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit interrupts, look for opportunities to be used by Him. When the spirit interrupts, listen for direction. When the spirit interrupts, looks for spiritual flashes, short videos. So when the spirit wants to communicate something to you, wants you to do something or show you a direction, it's like a quick video clip. You'll see a flash just like that, like, what was that? And it won't be in your natural eyes, but in the screen of your mind, you'll see a video playing out. It'll be like you saw something happen before it happened. You see a flash of something God wants to do. Well, when you see those little things that are like, what was that? I saw something happen. That's what God is is trying to help you to see what he wants to do. Respond to that. Jump on that. Look for that. Expect that. Be bold. Be brave. You see, it's time to believe at that moment. You see, doubt will come in and say, you're making it up. But it's time to be bold and believe, trust God, to step out. It's time for people to be saved, healed, and delivered in these moments of divine interruption. So if you want God to use you, you have to be alert to divine interruptions. We have to be alert to divine interruptions in the course of this service from week to week. You have to be alert to divine interruptions in the course of your day, taking the kids to school, taking the kids to camp, on your way to work at your lunch hour on your lunch break or right in the middle of your busiest season you have to be alert to the Holy Spirit he may want to step in and say excuse me a moment I have something I need to do here's a pastor's request I'm bringing this to a close when you come into this place here's what I request first of all prepare with prayer prepare with prayer When you're driving here, pray. Maybe get the kids to pray with you. Give them a device. Keep them quiet. Just pray. You can pray in the Spirit. You can pray quietly, pray loudly, whatever fits. But just pray on your way to church. You know, I just believe it would transform our services if everybody in this building would pray on the drive to church. Pray on the drive to church. Prepare with prayer. Engage in praise and worship engage really engage you got in you have to engage your mind You know if, if while we're singing and worshiping and my mind is out there doing something I'm not engaged you can't engage your spirit unless you engage your mind So stay engaged in praise and worship Respond respond to the leadership of the church Respond to the leadership of the Holy Ghost. Just be responsive. Be responsive. Be responsive. Receive the Word. Receive the Word. When a Word is spoken, when the Word is shared, just receive that Word and get a hold of it. Believe God with all of your heart. Release faith. That's what I would request. When the Word goes out, just get a hold of it. Believe it. and See what God might want to do. You can close your Bibles now. You know, Gil, I've found that when I talk about the Holy Spirit, He tends to show up. When you talk about miracles, they tend to happen. When you talk about soul winning. It happens. Whatever you talk about creates an atmosphere. Those words become prophetic for what's going to happen. So my last request is talk about the Holy Spirit. Speak a nearness of God. Speak about His power and let's create a prophetic atmosphere where that whatever God wants to do, He can do that. How many of you desire that? I ask you to stand now. Father, we ask you to not only hear our words, but see our hearts. For indeed we hunger for you. For truly we need you. Because without you we can do nothing. We welcome you to interrupt any portion of our lives, any place, any time, for any reason. We ask you to be let it be that kind of a summer. We don't want a carnal summer. We want a supernatural summer. We promise to draw near to you. To use this summer as a season of the Holy Spirit. while your eyes are closed, if you learn how to sense the nearness of God in church, then it becomes much more real at work. But if you don't learn how to sense the Holy Spirit at church, you're probably never going to sense Him at work. And if you learn how to respond to the Holy Spirit at church, then it's a lot easier to respond to the holy spirit at work see how it kind of goes together so it'll be response sensitive um you know like in a church service there are, it's kind of like waves of some sort and like there are moments when it feels like he's closer and it feels like the intensity increases just like just kinda of ramps up there for a minute, then it'll kind of settle down, then it'll ramp up. And you know, if, if you could follow me in these services and kind of feel those when when the spirit kind of seems to ramp up a little bit, be responsive in those times. Kind of ride those ways with me. You know, when when the spirit signals something, it's time to sit on the edge of your seat and get ready and be responsive and release faith. So I want to encourage you to do that. Thank the Lord. Father, we thank you for having been in your presence today. We want to take what we have with us. I want to go home with this, Lord. I don't want it just to be in church. I want it to be at my house. And I want it to be at my work, and I want it to be with me. Father, help us to take this with us. Take it with us. Shiloromamba Remala Pika Imbra Molopoko Tom Remeha. Shikalama pakatam Bram lopotomremele Pika Tim Bramalopoko tom Bremele Pika. Shiloromondoremele Pika Tim Bramala Pacotom Remele Pika Tim Brama lopotamremele. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you, Father. Ask the prayer partners to come forward now. And uh, if any of you would like to give your lives to Christ. If you'd like help from God about anything you need, whatever you're struggling with, or whatever you're concerned about, something you think might happen or might not happen, the greatest problem you've ever had or the greatest opportunity you've ever had, whatever it is, we want to pray with you. So there's just a, a nearness of God here, a great time for you to come down and receive prayer from any of these people you choose, any man or woman, would be happy to pray for you. So we're going to close the service and uh, if you want to come down for prayer, you can do that. God bless you so much. Thank you for giving me a few extra minutes. May the Lord bless and keep you. May make His face shine upon you and give you peace. May goodness and mercy follow you and the Holy Spirit overshadow you, lead you and guide you, guard you, and empower you to do good things in life. And I pray for divine interruptions in your lives this week. In Jesus' name. God bless you. I love you. Now, if you need prayer ministry, come forward. If you want the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we'll be happy to pray with you for that.